0: weather on a mountain can present an endless number of challenges to prevent you from climbing it. Rockfall, visibility, gear malfunction, snow conditions, the list goes on and on. But there's something else which may be even more important.
1: It's actually probably more of a significant determining factor on whether or not you get up something than the things that you can't control, like, you know, weather and snow conditions and
0: Hello there, and welcome to Mountain Meister. It's the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I am your host, Ben Shank, and today we're exploring the mind of Jack Tackle. He's a renowned alpinist, most known for his climbing in Alaska over the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. He's done over 35 major expeditions there, and 17 of them first ascents. He's the former director of the American Alpine Club and a guide for Exum Mountain Guides. Jack Tackle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ben. Now, I don't mean to belittle your other accomplishments, Jack, but quite possibly the most impressive thing that I've seen so far is your mustache.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> it's cool that you say that, but the truth of the matter is it went away in May.
0: Oh, No. That's devastating.
1: I know. You can blame my wife. Really? I'm just kidding. No, it's um, 40 plus years, and it went away once in 2008. And, you know, now that I'm not 19 anymore, I figured, you know, maybe I needed a new look at this stage. (laughs) But uh, pretty much every photo, except this last trip to India, that's uh, been a Signature for sure. Yeah.
0: What was it? What was it like taking it off after forty years?
1: Uh, it's still is something I'm not used to. How's that? <laughs> um, it's easier to blow your nose, but okay. uh, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm I'm fine with it now, but. You know, when you get to be my age, anything you can do to look younger, you know, you'll try, right? <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> you'll adapt. I'm actually in the process of growing a mustache for Movember. Have you ever heard of Movember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I have to grow an entire beard before I shave it into the mustache because it just takes so long.
1: Yeah, well, in my case, it's, you know, I've had this since I was 19, so, or actually in high school even. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it, uh, it's a renewable resource, so who knows, right?
0: <laughs> well, but um, you're climbing light, fast, before it was cool to be light and fast. Why did you like that style? Because uh, there weren't really too many people doing it back then.
1: Well, you know, it actually was a progression of just something that made, um, made sense with respect to the types of objectives that I initially uh, was attracted to. Um, you know, climbing with just one other person was sort of, you know, part of that. Mm-hmm. Trying something that was, you know, unclimbed made it practical in some ways, harder than others, obviously. But it was partly, it was timing, because I started climbing in 73. And it was right at the cusp of when things like, you know, clean climbing and Yvonne, talking about, you know, not using pens, and also, you know, especially the British at the time um, were very, I think, leading the world in strategy and style with respect to alpine style climbing in the Himalayas, for example, you know, based on their proving grounds in Scotland and Chamonix and so forth, and... So that influenced me a lot, actually. People like uh, Dougal Haston and Doug Scott and Alex McIntyre and so forth. Uh, That's in Wojtek Kurtika, the Mm -hmm. pole. Uh, Those guys were doing that kind of climbing. And so that, that influenced me. And then the other person that influenced me in that respect not so much in style but the idea of doing first ascents and new routes being more interesting than you know repeating routes was actually Fred Becky Fred influenced me about doing the routes and then the style it made sense to do them was it was less complicated you know
0: mm.
1: big expedition style climbing didn't interest me fixed lines you know it's just civil engineering when you get into that mm kind of thing it's just a matter of you know time and effort but it's not really wasn't the most interesting style
0: when you've had the opportunity to climb with some of those people that you've mentioned Fred what's it like when you hear and see all these things about these people and they inspire you what's it like when you finally get to climb with them
1: well uh people like Fred you know it's it's always uh you know it's something you have to be Careful about when you have people you respect or you, you know, sort of view heroes isn't a word that I really like, but you know, people use it. Um, so you have to be careful for what you wish for because the reality sometimes and the predisposed, you know, opinion, um, aren't necessarily gonna mm-hmm. mesh up, but uh. I You know, I've had great experiences with all those people. Um, I learned a lot from Fred in one summer, <clears throat> how to stay alive, which sort of mattered. And uh, it's just like anything else in life. You know, you have to realize that everyone's mortal and everyone has their faults and attributes. And uh, that's where the partnership thing, when you find a great partner... And, you, you know, you hit on all cylinders and you, you're you successful at, you know, more than just one climb together, that's where it, you know, really is something that's great. You know, it's not that common a thing to find in life.
0: Hmm. Hey, is the feeling ever not mutual?
1: Well, yes, sometimes the feeling hasn't been mutual. But for the most part, you know, half a dozen people through the years, I've done you know, a significant amount of the better climbs or better trips with. Um, and that, you know, becomes and is a very significant and important part of being successful at doing, you know, major new first ascents on big alpine peaks. It's not, you know, it's not like going rock climbing for the day. It's a little more involved, obviously. So <clears throat> I have... Um, been fortunate, but I've looked, you know, for that relationship and that type of partnership uh, where like minds, you know, line up on philosophy and strategy and, you know, skill. And <clears throat> But it's just like, you know, marriage, you know, you need a good blend of skill sets to have you know, each other complement each other, too, you know. Right. So, yeah, partners are, it's actually, in my opinion, probably more of a significant determining factor on whether or not you get up something than the things that you can't control, like, you know, weather and Hmm. snow conditions and, you know, that kind of thing. So I've been really lucky in that respect.
0: Yeah, you've been lucky. You you also said that half of them are dead. Why are you still alive?
1: You know, I, I look at it, I guess, from the standpoint of, you know, why did people like Jack or Alex die? Well, you know, you can explain that after the fact um, by, you know, examining the specifics of what happened. But it doesn't, it's not as easy a question to answer, like, why am I still alive? You know, I -hmm. I think, you know, I think in part because I'm stubborn. Um, And in part, you know, one of the things that, you know, climbing has taught me is uh, it's a process of making good decisions. Um, And one of those examples is knowing when to turn around and when not to go and when to when to say you know we should try this another time or another day um i think that's a skill that i you know just developed over time that's part of why i think i'm still here
0: right right I, i think it's interesting how you said you were stubborn there And then we also take into account that most of your expeditions, you'd like to go with only one other person. So there's no majority there. It seems like it's just a ripe situation for social influence. One person says one thing and the other person goes along with it. So being stubborn seems very important.
1: Well, the stubborn thing for me, uh, I mainly use that term with respect to you know, going back to climbs that I've tried once or twice, finally being successful. You know, I'm actually not, you know, I'm not that hard to get along with, I don't think, on a (laughs) trip. uh, When the premise, you know, from the outset is, you know, a common shared goal and a common shared philosophy about how to do it, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, that eliminates a lot of, Conflict. Um, so, really, the stubborn comment was more about you know going back to things um, a second or third time, uh, which happened a lot in Alaska. So, I think the symbiotic relationship with a good partner, you know, eliminates the need to be, you know, stubborn or hard headed because then you're you're firing on the same cylinders and wavelength as the other person and then things you know click pretty well
0: you're listening to renowned albinist Jack Tackle. More of our interview with him coming up in a bit. But first, let me tell you about a great project that we're working on. It's our 2016 goals. You might remember this time last year we laid out our 2015 goals in this new and upcoming episode of Mountain Meister. We'll be talking about our 2016 goals and we want you to be featured in the episode. Yes, your Voice on Mountain Meister. It's amazing. Trust me, I do it all the time. So go to our website. There's a section, it's pretty obvious. It'll be right on the homepage. It'll tell you how you can record your voice very easily and send it to me. I want, you know, one or two minutes of you talking about what you'd like to accomplish and how you're going to accomplish it. If I really like what you had to say, and that's no pressure on creating radical goals, it's more if you say something unique or if uh, you have any interesting strategies to help you achieve your goals, we might want to connect for a more detailed conversation for that episode. So send me those goals, Ben at mtnmeister dot com, uh, and keep an eye out for our 2016 Goals episode. Okay, back to our interview with Jack Tackle. We pick things up. Uh, Jack was diagnosed with a condition called Guillain-Barre in the early 2000s. We pick it up here.
1: What it is, is a rare uh, peripheral nervous system disorder. It, the antibodies in your immune system attack the myelin sheath in your nerves thinking that there's something wrong that's actually not wrong. So your, your immune system goes haywire. And the result of it is um, paralysis and, in my case, a lot of pain. And I was actually guiding a friend of mine on Aconcagua when it happened in January of 2001 Um. And it got progressively worse. And, you know, it's a long story, but I was air flighted from Mendoza, Arizona, uh, Argentina, mm-hmm. back to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I spent almost two months in the hospital and had to learn how to walk and eat, and talk, and climb and everything again. <clears throat> so it was a pretty significant health issue. Um, had I not had this friend with me who charted the learjet ambulance to come and get me, I wouldn't have made it. Because it is fatal if it's not treated when it's
0: So everything just kinda of locks up? Uh you're paralyzed.
1: It's an ascending paralysis of your peripheral nervous system. And so the when people die of it, um, you die of respiratory failure mm-hmm. because you can't your your uh, diaphragm and your your chest, you know, is paralyzed so you can't breathe. Um, But it's also a fairly, you know, serious disorder with respect to residual issues. So I have uh, permanent nerve damage in my feet. So I've had to learn how to adjust with respect to balance and sensitivity and proprioception and dealing with the cold, which was a problem on this trip I just got back from India on. So my feet and hands are numb right now.
0: Can it... if your, if your feet yep. and hands are numb right now, Mm-hmm. how numb? Uh, well, a few weeks ago
1: I couldn't feel anything in the front half of my feet and I couldn't feel any of my fingers. But that's just, that's happened before on other trips with cold damage. But anyway, it's complicated by the Guillain-Barre. So that was, a you know, that's the most significant health challenge I've ever had. Um, and the residuals from it, you know, impair me now because I'm, you know, I'm not the same person physiologically that I was before I got sick. Uh-huh. But, you know, I learned how to compensate. So
0: has it, it, so it, uh, it impacts your climbing physically. Has it impacted your outlook on climbing and how you take risks?
1: Uh, well, those are two good questions. The first half of that answer is it's impacted me physically in that – you know, I've lost uh, a lot of my balance. I've lost a lot of my proprioception. You know what that is, mm-hmm. uh, which is something you take for granted. But uh, you know, walking down a trail or through talus or climbing itself, I don't, I don't get the feedback mm-hmm. that you do uh, from nerves. Right. Um, so you know, my my mobility in my ankles and feet is you know impaired. <laughs> It's not you know huge, but it's it's noticeable to me, <clears throat> and it's way different than before I got sick so that's the first thing. The second part of your question you know it allowed me to have a better perspective about um, the value of being healthy but also just the value of life um So in a lot of ways, it was a good positive learning experience about shit that matters. Um, There's always positive things that come out of what appear to be mostly negative. I'm a lot, you know, luckier than a lot of people that have had the disease, but I also had it a lot worse than most people get it. But you know those were the cards I got dealt. So right. I just yeah. You deal with it. Yeah.
0: Can, can you talk more about what positive things came out of something seemingly negative?
1: <clears throat> so for me, it reinforced you know the fact that you know not just climbing, but a lot of things you know were pretty important, and uh, you know my wife and my stepchildren and. You know, my quality of life and, you know, the work I was doing, you know, all took on a a more clear, salient perspective as a result of, of, you know, at one point thinking I was never going to walk again. And uh, so that's made, you know, the climbing, even though it's harder for me, you know, there's like, I call it my previous life before I got sick. And I wasn't young, you know, and I'm not young now. So, you know, just the aging process alone, you know, makes you adjust <laughs> to things. So getting sick and being impaired on top of being old wasn't a great combination. But, you know, it made me more appreciative of what I have.
0: Yeah. So. Well, maybe you can help me with this because we hear this kind of stuff a lot. It's somebody who gets sick, um learns to appreciate the smaller things, how, how can people who don't get sick find that appreciation? Because I, I honestly have never, I, I'm jealous almost of that appreciation that you have. Well,
1: that's, I, I think that's a, a good question. I think uh, the answer is uh, you can't unless you get challenged. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's that easy especially when you're younger. I mean, I was 35 before I had any kind of physical health count. I had to have back surgery, right? So up until I was 35, I thought I was, you know, semi-immortal, right? Which is common. So I think until something happens or something happens to a person that you're very close to, or a family member or, you know, a spouse, until you see that, you know firsthand, and you can see your mortality. Um, I think it's really hard to to affect enough change in your life to you know appreciate what, in my case, you know the Guillaume Beret mm-hmm. showed um, was you know shit that mattered and shit that didn't matter.
0: Right, I, but then at the same time, like I would never go subject myself purposefully to something like that to gain that appreciation you know what I'm saying
1: well I would hope not Right? I mean I would wish what happened to me on anyone but on the other hand you know there was lots of things that I learned from it and I wrote about this actually in a piece that I wrote for Alpinist magazine Um, in the first issue of Alpinist I wrote this thing because I went started to get back on the horse <clears throat> to this climb in the Logan St. Elias range with this friend of mine, Charlie Cicera, And you know, I got hit by this rock and had this sort of epic uh, right after, you know, having recovered for the last year and a half from Guillain-Barre. So I got you know knocked down again, so to speak, uh-huh. literally and figuratively. So I referenced that because in that piece and in that event, you uh-huh. know, one of the I was on this ledge by myself for two and a half days with a broken back and other things. And <clears throat> had I not gone through the Guillaume Beret thing, I would not have had the resources to draw upon as well as I did, you know, in that particular instance and in event. So it was, you know, it was something that was a positive resource I could draw upon as a result of having, you know, been sick the year before when this other thing happened on Mount Augustus. So, uh, you know, there are positives that come out of those kind of things.
0: Is there any way we can read that? Is it online?
1: Uh, you can find it, yeah. I mean, the, the issue one, the title of the piece is called Down to the Wire. Down. And uh, unfortunately, Alpinists lost all their back issues in a, warehouse fire in Chicago so issues 13 back to 1 and 0 are rare.
0: We'll see if we can get uh, get it yeah. on your Meister profile page and then yeah. the listeners can check that out. The link to that article is indeed on Jack's Meister profile page. Alpinist is charging for it. It isn't free uh, but sometimes you gotta pay for the things that are normally offered for free and people work really really hard on that kind of stuff like podcasts yes go to our support page mtnmeister.com we've got all sorts of fun packages you can buy me a beer you can buy a shout out on the show that's only 25 bucks to tell people about something cool that one of your friends is doing and finally if you'd like to help out in a small way you can leave us a rating and review on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. thank you for that mtnmeister.com slash support Alright, um, so I wanted to, this is a much lighter topic, sometimes I ask people, um, and by those people I say, my mom, my sister, my roommate, um, if they have any questions for an alpinist or whoever I'm interviewing for the day. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. roommate, Max, is an outdoors enthusiast, but he's not a mountaineer. Max is wondering how can he get involved in the sport at a low cost and having a job during the week, not necessarily on the weekends. What would you recommend to Max? And you guys live in Boston. We live in Boston, yes. Okay.
1: Well, one idea that comes to mind is uh, for years, you know, I was a sales rep in the outdoor industry. Mm -hmm. So I had this real job, it turns out. And (laughs) And uh, you've
0: had real jobs throughout all of this climbing, we should say.
1: Yeah. Oh, I actually retired two and a half years ago, but up until then, yeah, I worked, you know, in the outdoor business initially as a retailer, then as a wholesale sales representative for 30 years, and, uh, but in conjunction with that, I did a lot of, you know, product development, I did a lot of uh, things like, I'd go to ice festivals, Mm -hmm. so where I'm leading with this was in North Conway, you know, there's a great resource in learning to climb or if Max wanted to learn how to ice climb then New England Ice Festival in mid-February is a great event Mm -hmm. and it's fairly low budget because you can sign up in advance for clinics even if you've never ice climbed before and get demo gear and go out with people that really know what they're talking about and check it out for not much money and you can do the same kind of thing with respect rock climbing. Now I've been a guide for a long time. The irony is that when I started to climb, um, I did none of that. Um, myself and two other friends from Bozeman just went out there and tried to figure it out. And so, you know, we had Royal Robbins' basic rock craft and advanced rock craft books. And that was about it. So, in hindsight, it's sort of ironic because I wasted a ton of time messing around with people that didn't know any more than I did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, what? the best way is to find someone that, you know, can be sort of a mentor that knows more than you do, <laughs> that's willing to, you know, take that position of helping and teaching and allow I- you to whoever you are, Max or you or anyone else, um, the opportunity to find out if this is something you're actually, you know, not only interested in but passionate in and because passion is the key, right? To right. So providing an opportunity or an environment by which you can be exposed to, in this case climbing or mountaineering, um, to find out whether or not it's something you, you really like or not, is, I think, the best way to explore that kind of thing.
0: What a great segue to our last question, which is who would you like to hear next on this show? You know, I
1: looked at uh, a list of people that you've talked to, but I didn't, you know, memorize the list. <laughs> but, you know, I know Swenson and I know Raph, and there was a bunch of people that you've interviewed that were completely outside climbing, obviously, that, you know, I didn't know which was cool. Um. Yeah, Danini would be someone you should talk to. Um, he'd be great. I just talked to him this morning. He called 15 minutes before you did. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, keep an ear out for Jim Danini on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Uh, you can find highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com, on Jack's Meister profile page. We'll have a link to that Alpinist article. We'll have a quote from Jack and more Jack Tackle thank you so much for joining us today
1: thank you I enjoyed it too thanks for the opportunity Ben
0: Meister fans thanks for tuning in for Jack Tackle hope you enjoyed don't forget to send me your 2016 goals and get featured on an episode of Mountain Meister our website outlines exactly how you can do it step by step recording your voice and then sending it to me it's really really easy but if you have any questions send me an email ben at mtnmeister.com lots of exciting things coming soon but until then enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore i'm your host ben shank thanks for listening to mountain meister